0: What's up, everyone? Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, My name is uh, Pastor Joel, like Griffin just said. Um, If it's your first time visiting with us here, whether in person or online, we're very thankful to have you uh, joining us uh, on this uh, really beautiful, uh, sunny Sunday morning. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Lord, uh, we thank you that you are with us. Um, you you dwell with us. You come. Your presence rests with us, Lord. We have seen His glory in Jesus as He uh, walked this earth. As, as you yourself took on flesh and were with us, you you died, you rose again, um, and you leave your word with us as well, God. And so I pray that as we uh, study that word today, your your spirit, your presence with us would would be with us. Would dwell with us to help us to grow, to learn. Uh, um, and to um, become more uh, like Christ, God, that we may follow him in all the different ways of our life, God, that we're called to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in uh, a series, we're going to be doing it throughout the summer, on the book of Jeremiah. We're calling it Build and Plant. And we're talking a a lot about... Prophecy and like what it has to say to us today, as we can kind of uh, learn and grow from the words of these prophets, people who lived in a completely different time and place than us, but whose words uh, speak into many different uh, situations and cultures. Um, now, just because like the prophet Jeremiah lived in another time, though, doesn't mean the idea of prophecy has gone anywhere. Um, I don't know if you guys rem- or know what this means Y2K. Actually, we're at a point now where I think like, that's actually not as known as maybe it was. There's probably some people here who weren't even born uh, during Y2K. But it refers to um, for this time in the year 1999, where a lot of people were freaked out because they were afraid of what was going to happen to like, all the systems we'd set up in the world when the year became 2000. So December 31st, uh, 1259, uh, uh, at night, 12.59, 59 at night, when the clocks turned over, they were kind of afraid of some apocalyptic event where, you know, the stupid computers that we had been uh, building uh, that we had only put two digits in, so like the last two digits in a year, so like 1999 would just be known as nine-nine, they were afraid. What will happen when four numbers change you know, all of the, uh, the, the world is run by these computers. Is it going to cause, like, uh, the grids to all go down and everything going to fall apart? Um, and, and that was kind of what, what people worried about. They were afraid these, these stupid computers were going to, like, cause the world to fall apart. I remember actually, like, I don't remember exactly how old I was off the top of my head, but on December 31st, I went to bed that night wondering if we'd wake up and the power would be out and, you know, all this stuff was going to fall apart. And so may, maybe you have a memory of that as well. Um, but one of the things that also happened during that time is, like, all the, the Christian doomsday prophets kind of came out of the woodwork predicting that God was up to something in this whole Y2K event. So one guy, uh, a guy named Jerry Falwell, who is kind of, you might have heard of him before. He started a big, big college. He said this. This is a quote from a Washington Post article um, that I was able to dig up. Also, a Washington Post article from 1999. That was... A very trippy thing to look at. Um, Anyway, this is like a a big institution, and the the best webs that they could come up with was was pretty awful. So anyway, um, he said this, Y2K is God's instrument to shake this nation, to humble this nation. He may be preparing to confound our language, to jam our communications, to scatter our efforts, and judge us for our sin and rebellion for going against his lordship. And apparently he distributed this packet called uh, the Y2K Time Bomb, uh, which included a video, uh, a Christian's Guide to the Millennium Bug, and a family readiness checklist um, telling people to stock up on items like gardening utensils, uh, Q-tips, and peanut butter and jelly. Um, So now, Clearly, we know, like, what, nothing happened at Y2K, right? The clocks turned over. The power was on when I woke up that morning. It was all big kind of nothing. Um, and it w- wasn't a big deal. But I'm going to guess, like, as I was reading that, I was thinking, man, there were, peop- there had, there were a- definitely people who were, you know, filling out the family checklist. They watched that video. And they had, you know, they were eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for months <laughs> after that. And they're probably still using those Q-tips, Right? <laughs> okay? So, like, not a big deal, right? Not a, not a big deal, but that kind of word from God, when people speak that, it has an impact on people who hear, it, right? And, you know, in a situation like that, it's relatively harmless, um, but there are going to be situations where, you know, something more uh, dangerous could happen, or, some, you know, the, the, the consequences are a little bit uh, more beyond just having to eat PB&J sandwiches for a long time afterwards, right? Um, And I think, you know, this tends to happen during big events, like words from God or a desire to hear words from God multiply. And we're kind of living through, I think, a a moment like that now. And it's kind of interesting just, you know, uh, in the midst of that, um, astrology is more popular than ever. And, like, apparently more than 40% of Americans believe in psychics. Like, they believe that they're actually, like, you know, speaking uh, predictive events um, about the world. Okay, so this is the kind of, you know, what happens during big moments. People are interested to hear a word from God. And when people speak on behalf of that, if they're not actually speaking from God, there can be some big consequences to that. Now something that becomes clear early on in the book of Jeremiah as you read through it is that there are a lot of prophets. It is not just Jeremiah who is out there claiming to speak a word from God to the people of uh, of Judah, um, but many people are actually out there kind of talking at the same time and people don't always know which word is actually coming from God. Okay? And, and as we read through the book of Jeremiah, we, we, we find that just because someone is a prophet or just because someone says they're speaking from God doesn't mean that they're always a good guy. They might think they are, but that doesn't actually mean that it's true. And this is actually a major part of the problem for the nation of Israel and, and for Jeremiah. Because you know, these prophets, whether they know it or not, Are deceiving people. They're using God's authority to turn people away from God, kind of forgetting the gospel story, like Julie talked about last week. And 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 for Jeremiah, the problem is like they are sowing seeds in God's garden that are sorry, sorry, sowing weeds in God's garden that are growing up that need to be uh, uh, uprooted so that God can build and plant. Okay, this is a big, big issue for Jeremiah, and um, like. Like we've been talking about, messages like this, they do have consequences. Um, and li- listen, to be, to be clear, I'm not dismissing or saying like prophecy is a bad thing. It doesn't still happen today. I'm not dismissing prophetic word. Actually, if anything, I'm saying this is an incredibly important thing uh, that God does. Like, um, th- this should, it should be a good thing. It should, fo- it should operate in a way that revitalizes us. I think that's the role of prophecy. When it comes from God, when it's truly prophetic in, in the sense that God's spirit is moving, it has the power to refresh and revitalize us. It's like a shot of adrenaline to the body of the church, right? To, to take it maybe out of a place of being stagnant or, 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 or being lost and, and giving it purpose and direction and energy to go where God is calling it to go. This is why prophecy matters. This is why we continue to need God's word to speak into us today, but what it means is that we just have to learn to be discerning in what kind of messaging we let fill our hearts and we let fill God uh, let fill God's church. Okay, so we have to have some wisdom uh, when, when we do this. And so, what I want to talk about today, as we kind of you know go through the Book of Jeremiah and we look at what he's talking about and how he talks about prophets, how do we discern when God is speaking through someone? How do we have some wisdom in that? That's what I want us to do today. Um, if we want to let God build and plant, we have to be discerning so we may actually hear from him. And we avoid having our ears tickled by, you know, the words of soothsayers who might actually be sowing weeds in God's garden. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, like we often do, what we'll, what we'll spend some time in the book of Jeremiah, like specifically we'll dig into it, we'll kind of ask, like, what's actually going on here? And we'll try to translate it or apply it into our own setting uh, today. Now, This is not just like one chapter of the book of Jeremiah where we hear about the prophets. It shows up constantly. Um, But one of the main places is in chapter 23. And so we're going to spend most of our time uh, there today. So here we go. Jeremiah 23, 9, 10, and, and verse 15. As for the prophets, this is God speaking here. The land is full of adulterers, for the land mourns because of the curse. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread to all the land. These people, who, these, these prophets who represent God, God is saying they are defiled, they're polluted in some way. They are corrupted by some other message or word or motivation, and that is what is actually being spoken or sown among God's people. Uh, these are people who are supposed to be set apart for God, but they're using that title or status that they have to proclaim some other word, and this is the problem for God. Um, their course is evil; their might is not right. Um, I think it's likely that we're supposed to detect a hint of like oppression that is mentioned in there, and so from their ungodliness, uh, it, it spreads forth to all the land kind of like a chemical company, right? That's pouring chemicals into a river that is you know, flowing downstream and everyone is getting sick from it. That's the image here I think we're supposed to see that God is talking about. This is what's taking place in Judah among God's people. And so God continues, For both prophet and priest are defiled. Even in my house I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their way will be like slippery paths to them. They will be driven away into the gloom and fall down into it. For I will bring disaster upon them, the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. So God says, I'm not just going to let this happen. I'm going to do something about this. Uh, I'm going to give them over to this delusion that they think they're speaking on my behalf in a way that leads them to some kind of disaster. He's saying, you know, it's like this: like you're on this dark path, right? You're you're walking down this path. You're you're trying to lead other people down it. It's really dark and gloomy. It's not as clear as you think it is. And I'm going to go out ahead of you, and I'm going to put a banana peel. You're going to slip on and fall off as you walk that course. Is that something people still talk about, banana peels, slipping on banana? I feel like when I, a lot of cartoons I watched growing up, people were always slipping on banana peels. And I was like, I had no clue banana peels were slippery. But that's, the thing, that's what came to my mind when I read this. Like God going ahead of them and making them slip by putting something in their path to cause them to fall. Okay, God's going to do something about it. He's not okay with it. He continues on in verse 16. This is what the Lord of armies says Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They tell a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. God's saying if people aren't careful, they will also be led into futility with these prophets, right? Down the same path that they're going down to the same banana peel that these prophets are going on and is going to be a slip and slide for everybody. Okay? That's what's going to take place if people keep walking this path with them. So you're probably asking, okay, let's pause for a second. Who are these prophets? Like, I want to understand a little bit better what's going on here. And so let's take a second to talk about that. First off, I just think it's you know, important to point this out. A lot of times when we talk about prophecy today, we're talking about someone making a prediction about some future event. That's really not a good way to think about what the prophets are. They do make predictions on behalf of God sometimes, but it's really not helpful to think that that's their sort of primary purpose. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot we don't know about these prophets, um, and it's hard to know like uh, if a prophet in Jeremiah's time was like a prophet in an earlier or later period, because we kind of know some different things about prophets at different periods, but it's hard to know if they actually look the same throughout every century. We do know that there were prophets in other ancient Near East societies that kind of surrounded Judah, um, and we know that the word that, that is used for prophet, the Hebrew word nabi, can actually have multiple resonances, kind of like the word minister does now today, right? It kind of has layers of meaning to that, or it doesn't always mean the same thing for every person who has the title. But essentially, as far as we can tell, prophets, especially in Jeremiah's time, they spoke for God into a specific time and place, to a specific group of people, they spoke God's word to them about what God was doing, what God was calling them to do. And when God established Israel, if you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, he tells Israel, don't mess around with some of the other people in nations around you who claim to hear from God, who claim to give some sort of divine revelation, people like uh, astrologers, witches, people who engage in divination of some kind. I'm gonna give you a way that you can hear from me. These prophets, I'm going to speak through these men and women so that you will know what I want you to do. So your job is to just listen to them. And this is an essential uh, part of Israel's survival. It's like a a lifeline to some blood that flows in and keeps Israel healthy and vital. It is this constant word from God that comes through the prophets so that they don't grow stale. That's the, the function of the prophets. But by Jeremiah's time, there are a lot of prophets. Okay? There are many people who are going around talking uh, and using the word prophet to describe themselves. And they're not all the same. Okay? And, and again, this, this idea that the word nabi is kind of has multiple resonances I think is kind of helpful here because in some ways they do function kind of like pastors do today. So you would often find prophets hanging out in the temple courtyard to meet with people if you needed some advice or you wanted to hear some specific word of God. For you you could go find a prophet who would tell you what God wanted you to know. Uh, sometimes these prophets were linked with certain uh, sanctuaries or they were even part of the king's staff. The king employed a, a, a group of prophets who would kind of be like advisors to him to tell them what God wanted the, uh, the nation to do. Uh, and some of these prophets, they would be more conservative, a little more concerned with you know, what God had said in the past. Some of them might be a little bit more open-minded, a little more willing to embrace new ideas about God or the gods around uh, Israel. A few would be more independent, okay? They would kind of function apart from these, these structures, right? And I think these, these guys are the ones who tend to be the ones we read about in Scripture a little bit more. They are the ones who get spoken about or actually write uh, books in, in the Bible. So like Elijah, for example, a very famous prophet. If you open your uh, Bibles up to uh, 1 Kings, you can read the story of Elijah. And he is like kind of known as like the prophet's prophet, even in the time of Jesus. This guy was living on the run for most of his life. He was hiding in the desert because uh, the, the king and queen were so mad at him and the message he had to deliver them. Uh, and Jeremiah is kind of like that too. He's on the outs with the authorities most of the time throughout the book. But Elijah and Jeremiah, they're outliers because most prophets made a living off of this work that they did. So when you would come seek them out or if they were part of the king's um, you know, court, they were getting compensated for this work. They were connected to institutions, to people, and they needed approval in order to make a living, right? When your livelihood comes down to people seeking you out for some service, and you can get some fame from it, just think about this. The temptation is gonna be really strong to tell people what they want to hear so that they keep coming back, they recommend you to other people, and you can kind of build your brand through that, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a phenomenon that we deal with in the same way just, just now as well, okay? And this is especially true when the king or some other powerful people uh, like what you have to say. That's when you have the real chance to get some prestige or power or fame or celebrity from your message. That temptation is strong. So you can probably guess where this is going as we sort of think back on what's probably going on in Jeremiah's time. If you're a prophet and you're telling people that they're headed for a cliff Because of the path that they're on, this is not good for business. And these prophets knew this. So here's what they're telling people. They're saying to people who despise Yahweh's message, it will go well for you. To everyone who is walking in the determination of their mind, they've said, evil won't come upon you. They're telling the people of Judah, like, everything is fine. Don't worry, you have nothing to worry about. But if you have chest pain... Right, if you wake up one morning, you have a pain in your chest, you go to the doctor that morning, what do you want the doctor to do? If there's bad news, you want that doctor to tell you, hey, you got some, you got some problems here. These arteries are not doing very well. Let's, uh, let's figure out a plan to you know, fix the problem. You, in that situation, you want the bad news. You don't want the doctor to tell you, like, you're doing great. You, you are doing just fine. You should go celebrate by going to Golden Corral afterwards, right? <laughs> That's not what you want a doctor to tell you if you have chest pain. And I think it's similar because Judah's about to have a heart attack. But these prophets are like doctors who are unwilling to tell them that there's any issue. These prophets are saying, listen, you guys don't need to change anything you're doing. You're just fine how you are. God is going to protect you from any trouble because he he loves you all. He has a wonderful plan for your lives. and, And he wants you to always be triumphant. And, and so they're unwilling to tell these people the truth. And then at the end, they're like, oh, by the way, I'll bill you later and make sure, you know, here's a referral code for you to pass on to your friends if they want to come get some good advice just like, just like you did, right? The problem is God hadn't told these prophets to say any of this stuff. But the people believed that it was God speaking. And that's really dangerous. And it was very dangerous uh, in uh, Jeremiah's time. The people of Judah, they needed to hear the hard truth, and these prophets were refusing to give it. Whether they, they knew it, you know, they knew actually God was telling them to say something else and they refused to speak it, or they were totally ignorant of it. Like, we, we don't know for sure what the you know, exact motivations of these prophets were, but regardless, they, they were taking Judah down with them. And this is kind of the, a, a big reason for the disaster that the that the nation of Judah is headed towards that Jeremiah keeps trying to warn everybody about. Now, this is true in all times, not just Jeremiah's. We're always going to have leaders who are about profile, who are about comfort, approval, about their own brand. And I think God is still often in the business of putting banana peels in those leaders' paths. Okay? You can maybe think of examples like that. That you know, they, maybe they fail as they try to cover up some scandal or they kind of just insist, they double down on this message, they keep going. Um, and it kind of consumes them, right? Like, But that happens, right? And I think it's good for God to continue to watch over his word in that way, okay? But we, I think, ought to try and avoid getting caught up in the carnage when we can because people can get really hurt in the process, right? You're not just gonna end up with a bunch of extra peanut butter and jelly in your fridge a lot of times. Like, people can get really hurt by this stuff, um, just like the people in Jeremiah's time were about to be. So what I want to talk today for the rest of the sermon about is like some things to process through as you kind of discern, like how can I have wisdom in hearing from people who speak from God because it's important. To hear from God, but we have to know whether or not it's actually God speaking or not. And we're not always gonna know. We're not always gonna have the wisdom to know for sure when this is taking place. But I think when we study Jeremiah, we can start to figure out you know, some things that we can be thinking about as we do this. All right, so this comes from a book called The Theology of Jeremiah by a, a scholar named John Goldingay. And he asks these questions. So I'm gonna throw some of them up there for you guys to think through. Um, okay, let, let, me, let me read some of these. So, questions to ask. Does this person or this message, does it say the opposite of what we might think? Does their message survive being measured by scriptural standards about behavior? Do they hold together past, present, and future? Do they get attacked by the people of God, especially their leaders? Do they love the people of God? Do they avoid making a substantial profit out of being prophets? Do they combine threat? And promise? Like, do they uproot and tear down and then build and plant? Does their uh, message get rejected? Do they persist year in and year out? Right? Or do they just kind of, you know, move on to the next thing when something doesn't work out the way they said it was going to? Do they frighten us? Are they independent of the structures and, and the payroll that might lead to success, quote unquote, in the people of God? And finally, are they offensive to some things that we might hold dear? Okay. Now, none of these things on their own, I think, suffices. But if you find yourself answering the yes to a lot of these questions, you might want to consider that God might be speaking to us through these people, even if they don't even necessarily use the the label of prophet. Because when God speaks, these are the kinds of things in Scripture we see often taking place. Now, what I want to do is I want to zoom in on some of these a little bit more and unpack them um, and kind of combine a few of them even at different points, okay? So first off, prophecy is prickly, and if we never get stung by it, it might not be God speaking, okay? Prophecy is like a hedgehog. Think about a hedgehog. If you pick one up, you bring it close to you, you want to get close to it, really take it in, it might prick you. That's just the nature of hedgehogs, right? Um, Prophecy is like that too, okay? Okay? often when we pick it up, we allow ourselves to get close to it, it's oftentimes going to sting us, okay? But if you are picking something up that is maybe from God or or from some leader saying they're speaking to you from God and you don't get pricked ever, you never get stung by it, you never get challenged, it never, uh, you know, is offensive to something you hold dear, it is never challenging you in some way, you know, I think you might want to consider it might not be God speaking because when God comes to us and meets us, we're challenged by that oftentimes, Okay? If it never convicts you, if it never challenges you to new depths of growth, but it's just comfortable, it's just kind of promising you'll have triumph and happiness and comfort no matter what, it's probably not gonna be God speaking there. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. Because here's a fact: the biblical prophets, these guys that you know we talked about, guys like Elijah and Jeremiah, they're almost always super unpopular in their time. Okay, and this shows us that this this tells us something about prophecy, right? It was prickly in their time. It's going to be prickly in ours as well. Yes, the goal is building and planting. It is revitalizing people, making them new. But this sort of uprooting, this challenge has to come first. And, and these, this sort of pr- a prickly message was not what these false prophets in Jeremiah were delivering. They weren't interested in in speaking that. They were handing out, instead of hedgehogs, they were handing out cute, cuddly puppies because they knew that sold well. People love to look at pictures of cute, cuddly puppies on on social media, and so they were giving people puppies by uh, the ton, right? Um, They were preaching a gospel of triumphalism that God would never call them to repent. Oh, God would never call you to change. You don't need to grow. You are just doing just fine as you are. That's what they're telling people only that they would triumph, that they would conquer, and that they should just double down on whatever it is that they've been doing. Okay, But God, when we, when we meet him, he's going to call us to see the world as it is from his view, and, and not as we would like it to be. And there's often a gap between those two things. And we ignore it to our own peril. We should expect, when we truly meet God, there to be some gap that we have to grow in the midst of. And when prophets truly speak to us, we see that. Now we we can't just like we can't just look at the good stuff that we're doing and assume God is fine with just that and kind of hide behind that and assume He doesn't want to challenge us sometimes. That's true for us as individuals. It's true for the church as well. Now all that said, I wanna I wanna add a caveat here, a really important caveat. Just because some pastor or prophet or someone is offending people, that doesn't mean they're a prophet either. They might just be a jerk okay? There's a lot of, you know, wannabe prophets out there who are just jerks, who I think just, they just get off on offending people. And that's not what prophecy is about either, okay? Because honestly, a lot of times the reason that works is they are still telling people what they want to hear, okay? They're still telling people who, they want someone to be offensive, not to them, to someone else that they don't like, like the culture, Right? Or, or or something else that they don't like. And they look for someone who's offensive towards those things, but isn't challenging them. Okay? That's not prophecy either. Okay? That's just an angry person, someone who has a chip on their shoulder or wants attention because anger sells. That's not prophecy either, okay? And the difference between those things is I think ultimately it's love. Not love of a platform or love of power, but love of people. And I think you can sense that in people who are challenging us even when the message is prickly. We can, you can sense deep down that that is what they desire. They, they, they love us, okay? And, and this is like what John Goldingay said on that list, right? They have a love for the people of God who they're challenging. They want to see these people grow. They speak to these people. They want them to grow. Um, and and that's, that's ultimately what motivates them. If a, if a leader shows no love for God's people, no ultimate tenderness towards them, even the ones who need to be stung, and no desire to build and plant amidst all the uprooting and tearing down that sometimes takes place, uh, and they don't deliver that word of challenge through tears, then ask yourself, like, that, you know, is this a red flag? This person might actually just be a jerk. Okay? So we have to look out for both of those things. We have to handle that balance well. Okay, next. Have a better criteria for listening to someone other than just they seem like a celebrity. Okay? There's a lot of like celebrities in the church, right, nowadays. And and I can, you know, speak to this. Like the, the dream of a lot of people who get into ministry a lot of times is to kind of be one yourself, right? To you know get famous on social media, to write a book that's a New York Times bestseller to get a lot of followers. And I think the reason for that is because that's how we define success in America. Okay, we have a kind of a, a warped view of success. That God must be speaking for something because a lot of people are interested in me or they want to follow me. Okay, but here's the thing: just because someone is a you know pastor of a megachurch or they speak at conferences, they write a book, they have a check mark next to their name on social media, lots of followers, and they've got a fabulous lifestyle that they live because of all that stuff. They've accomplished their dreams, and they've got to, you know, uh, follow me and I'll help you do the same thing. Or they just sound persuasive in sound bites you might see on social media. Okay? None of that means outright that this person should have influence over you. Okay? Something that I think we need to constantly remind ourselves of because of this pull of celebrity that is in American culture, but also in the church, is that just having a platform or seeming impressive doesn't mean that God is speaking through someone who's aren't necessarily synonymous. Okay, but the problem is that we're very easily swayed by celebrity as a culture. And a lot of Christians, throughout the last hundred years especially, have tried to use celebrity as a way to, you know, uh, spread the message of Jesus. And a lot of that, like, Let's be honest, Like to good effect. I think that there's examples of that where that has worked. We can think of like major figures who, whose name recognition helped you know, spread the cause of Jesus. And that's a good thing. We should celebrate that. God can use a lot of things uh, to help people come to know him. But here's, here's the problem, I think, with that is when so much of like our successes, quote-unquote, in the church have come from celebrity figures kind of taking advantage of this infatuation we have in America with that and applying the rules of that, like uh, marketing and image maintenance to kind of build a platform or spread a message, that we can forget that that isn't always God's blessing when we see that. It might just be a good PR person. And we have to be discerning to understand the difference between those two things, okay? Just, again, think about this. Let's look back at Jeremiah. Jeremiah and, and these other prophets that he's talking, you know, in the midst of, they all have the same title. But in fact, if we were to transport ourselves back to that time, we would look at Jeremiah and we'd probably be tempted to think, who's this bum? Like, he, does, he doesn't have anyone who's following him. His life is not fun and easy. Like, I don't want to, you know, have a life like that, dude. That looks awful. Um, He doesn't, you know, no one's reading his books. He's not preaching a message of, you know, you will triumph and you will accomplish all your dreams if you just do what I say. He is not saying any of that stuff. We would probably be uh, very uh, tempted to just dismiss a guy like Jeremiah and to follow the other prophets who were probably making a lot of uh, dough off of the word that they were speaking. Okay? We would probably, if we're honest, we would probably be more uh, willing to follow after those other prophets than after Jeremiah, because okay? they were the ones with lots of followers on Twitter and expensive wardrobes. They looked blessed by God, because people liked what they had to say, but they weren't. They were actually leading Judah off a cliff. And I think it's good for us to remember that, because by our shallow value system, I really think we'd be tempted to be more attracted to them instead of by jeremiah but we'd be missing god's word we'd be missing his word so we shouldn't look at societal standards for success okay but now you're probably like well what do i look for you're just making this very confusing for me joel And I realize this is a a challenge. It makes us, like, search deeper. But I think we are given uh, some things to look for, to kind of understand and discern the difference in people. And that is in fruit. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, 15 to 20. He says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad fr- uh, tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize them. So, we have to become uh, able to discern uh, the right kind of fruit in people's lives or messages to understand is this actually coming from God in what they're saying here? Okay, so be patient. Look at the fruit of people to kind of understand if they're speaking from God. But what, what kind of fruit? Now I want to talk about three C's, okay? Conduct, content, and congregation, okay? Look for fruit in these three places, their conduct, their content, and their congregation. So first of all, conduct. What does their life look like, okay? What are the implications of their lived out message? First of all, are they even living out their message, Right? Are they saying a bunch of good things, but when you look at their life, you don't even see them living it out themselves? It's a bit of a red flag. There's no fruit coming from this message. Okay? But if they are, what kind of fruit is actually growing here? And does it seem like they understand the, like, the weight of what they say, or do these kind of seem casual with their words, like you know, not really paying that respect to, that much respect to God, but looking for some other kind of impact, whether it's fame or, or celebrity, do they seem like they're, you know, out to get a lot of attention or money, and is that, is that what you can see that they're getting from what they say? Or maybe they're just angry, right? You're like, I think this person just wants to yell at other people, okay? That's the fruit that I see growing from them. They're just angry, Okay? Ask yourself this question, what do respected people who maybe don't come from this person's tribe or tradition um, or vantage point say about them? Do they still speak highly of them? Do they still seem to think, yeah, this person comes from a different starting point than I do, but I actually see, think I can feel God working in the midst of this, even though I'm not necessarily inclined uh, to believe everything they say, right? Do they speak of their, highly of their character? Do they speak of them as a blessing? I think that's a really good thing to look for. Are these people willing to repent themselves, right? Or are they always right and everyone else is always wrong and they're always just kind of doubling down, refusing to listen to anybody else? Do they seem humble or not, okay? That's fruit of their own conduct that you can look for. Next though, content. Um, Do they combine threat and promise? Is there, some of the stuff we talked about before, do they uproot and tear down so that they can build and plant? Are people who follow them living humble and repentant lives because of this message? Are they turning from idols to follow Jesus because of what they're hearing? Are they honoring what has come before? Are they understanding the moment that they live in with clarity and painting a gospel-shaped picture of where God is calling the church? Or do they just kind of seem like products of the moment in some way? They don't seem connected to anything rich or deep that God has done in the past. And, and having a, a real hope that lines up with, with God's word about where God is taking us in the future. Do they just kind of feel like they're just you know, thinly, uh, you know, part of the moment that we live in, okay? Do they sound similar to some marketing or self-help, some, some political message, right? Do they line up really easily with the ways we categorize everything in our world today, like liberal or conservative? They just seem like, boy, they, they sound like anybody else in one of these camps, okay? Um, that's a question to ask, right, when you take their whole message into consideration. Okay, finally, congregation, Okay? And this is where you look at the people who follow after this person, people who have you know, uh, taken in a lot of their message, who, who live it out. What do the lives of these people who follow them show you about what it means to live this message out? Okay? It's not just words. It becomes fruit in people's lives. When they hear it and, and they, they allow themselves to soak in it, you will see fruit grow from that in the people's uh, lives who follow after them. So ask yourself, well, what do I see when I look at those people? Is there fruit in their lives that is attractive, it's, it's godly, it's worth seeking out? Or are they just jerks for Jesus too, like the person they're listening to? Are they turned inward or does hearing this person's message turn them outward for Jesus? Okay, Are they about protecting something or do they care about following God humbly wherever he leads them? Do they seem open to being pricked by God's word themselves or are they just uh, trying to stab other people with it? Okay, These are the kinds of fruit we should be looking for. And in all three of these things, when we're talking about fruits, do we see the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, Paul tells us that where the Spirit moves, he leaves fingerprints. Uh, And he tells us things like love, joy, peace, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Spirit moves, you see that fruit. Do you see that fruit coming from the, 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 these messages? If not, it's probably not the Spirit moving then. If so, though, maybe it is. Maybe it's worth it to seek them out a little bit more. Okay, next. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, what does it seem like they've been listening to? And Jeremiah talks about this uh, in, in, in uh, verse 18 of chapter 23. Uh, he says, or this is God speaking through him, but who has stood in the council of the Lord, that he should see and hear his word, and who has paid attention to his word and listened. So, what he's talking about here, and this shows up in other parts of the book of Jeremiah as well, is that the true prophet is someone who has sat in the council of God. Okay? And it's like a picture almost of sitting with God in like a council room, along with kind of these other uh, people who are part of uh, God's uh, heavenly council that are discussed. But these prophets, they, they sit in it, they listen to it, and they repeat. What they've heard in that council—that's a kind of a common image uh, of the Book of Jeremiah. And God is saying here that these prophets—they have not stood in my council; they have not listened to my word. So I don't know whose council they've been sitting in, and that they're repeating, but it's not mine. Okay, you know how, like, when you spend a lot of time around somebody, you—you know, like, if let's say, like, you lived with someone and they had a bunch of weird phrases, right? Like weird idioms or something like that and then like you move out you're not living with them anymore and then you say one of those weird things and you're like where did that come from oh my gosh I spent way too much time around this person right that's kind of a natural we be kind of like we repeat the things uh, that, that people we spend a lot of time around okay does a pastor or a prophet that they sound like they've been in the council of Fox News or left-wing Twitter or, you know, just some self-help Instagram page? Is that what it sounds like they've been listening to and that that's what's being repeated now? Or do they actually sound like they've been in the counsel of Jesus, listening to and delivering his word, persisting in that, unafraid of the pushback or any consequences of it? Because that is the counsel that true prophets should be in. And the early Christians, kind of picking up on this idea, the early Christians, they truly believed that God had spoken a prophetic word to them through the life, the word, uh, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And and this uh, uh, allows um, the, the, the author of Hebrews to say this in the opening of that book. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, okay? Remember when I said earlier uh, that prophetic word is God's primary way of injecting us with life, like a shot of of adrenaline, right, to to, to a a body that is, is falling asleep or dying, a shot of adrenaline to come into it, to bring it back to life again, okay? Jesus is the ultimate revitalizing prophetic message that God has spoken, so much so that this prophetic word literally brings the dead back to life again. Okay? Now, this seems basic for me to end it here and just be like, do they, do they talk about Jesus, right? You, this might seem really basic, okay? But I think, really, we forget the basic things often, okay? We need to be reminded. Listen, being, being called basic is like an insult today. You're basic, right? Have you ever heard that before? Christians should be basic, Okay? To be honest, like this is actually a huge compliment for us, to be basic, to go back to the message and the life of Jesus and to conform ourselves to that because we long for God to speak. It's necessary for our survival as a church. We should be seeking out his rejuvenating word, but we should understand that, the, that he has spoken that in Jesus. And so as he continues to speak today, it is all conforming to Jesus we need to keep walking in accordance with what God has made clear to us in Jesus. His words, his life, his invitation to repent and to follow him. These are the words of life that we need. And true prophecy, true prophetic word today which is so vital to us, which revitalizes us, gives us a shot of new life, it amplifies the word of Jesus. Okay? So when you're, you know, asking yourself like where is God speaking? Who is he speaking through? Be basic and fill your hearts with the words of Jesus and from people who amplify those so that we may know that God is speaking through them. All right, we are gonna head into a time of worship and communion here now and prayer. Uh, If you need prayer for anything, if you'd like to ask God to speak to you in some way, there'll be someone in the back who will be uh, able to pray for you um, and we will be taking communion as a way of reminding ourselves. Again, we take communion every single week because We're real basic, okay? We go back to, we live the life of Jesus, whose body was broken and his blood was shed on our behalf. That is what gives us life, the giving up of his life so that we may be revitalized and energized to live new lives in whatever situations we find ourselves living in today. So take communion, meditate on that, and worship God through song uh, as we head into that time. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you've spoken to us in Jesus' Just like you had said that you would do to the people of Israel long ago, you said, you'll speak to us through prophets. Your word will be known to us so we know what you desire for us. so We may be rejuvenated and have life so that we may follow you. Uh, And you have done that in your son Jesus through his prophetic life and word and death and resurrection, God. And you continue to speak through that in our own time today, God. We're thankful for that. Give us wisdom so we may be discerning to know when it is you speak, and when it is you don't, so that we may uh, avoid um, any consequences that come from it and instead uh, have life and have life to the full. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.